From Troy Public Radio, I'm Tim Phillips, and this is Clarinet Corner. On the show with me today, I have a guest who, if you listen carefully to Clarinet Corner, you've heard many times on this show because she has many great recordings that I've played, and she has a semi-new one that kind of came out after COVID, and uh, she's a Grammy-nominated recording artist, teacher, and international performer who has premiered over 100 solo clarinet and chamber works throughout the U.S., Europe, China, South Korea, and India. And she's an assistant professor of chamber music at Michigan State University College of Music, one of the finest music schools in the country. And her name is Tasha Warren. Tasha, thank you for being here today. Well, thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be on your show. I appreciate it very much. Now, I was so sad during COVID, but the only little good part of it was I knew that people would create amazing art during that time. And then afterwards there would be cool stuff to, to listen to, new music to play, new films, all kinds of good things would come out of it, maybe. And your CD is one of them that I think is just fantastic. It's called Ourself behind ourself concealed and it's with you and a cellist named Dave Egger and I want you to tell me about the genesis of this CD and kind of what your uh, intention was with this the CD and this music yeah you're exactly right the the pandemic was um, sort of an unexpected explosion of creativity that was lying under the surface that we're only now starting to to discover um and that was really a lifeline for me to be honest it was really um the thing that kept me going was was this project um so Dave and I met as members of American Modern Ensemble and um, faculty at Mostly Modern Festival that happens every June. Mm-hmm. And um, we had talked for a while about doing something together and um, that those conversations eventually um, shaped into a duo project for bass clarinet and, and cello and inspiring repertoire for our instruments, but also reflecting our, um, interest and love of music that from other genres that, um, and composers that are well-recognized in their own genres, but not on the classical stage. And also mm-hmm. kind of exploring what is the difference now, um, you know, with so much cross-pollinization of styles and genres um, and voices and stories, what does that mean on the classical stage now? And so we specifically um, looked at composers that weren't as recognized so much as classical, classical composers. Mm-hmm. Um, and we we came up with this list of composers, each one of us did, and then we cross-referenced those names mm-hmm. with each other. And coincidentally, some of those names were the same. Okay. And yeah, so it was, it was really, really exciting to feel like you were really on the same wavelength, even in that way. Yeah. Um, and I applied for funding through Michigan State's HARP grant um, program. That's a arts and humanities grant program that you can apply for funding. And I applied for it, but there's a long period of waiting before you know whether you got it. And we received a notification that we did get this grant um, in February 2020, at the very end of February 2020, mm-hmm. so right before we all locked down. Yeah, that's a good time to get a grant. 
it was the one like, oh my gosh, at least there's something good, you know? Yeah. It was a good time to get a grant. But I have to say, you know, all of us were a bit stunned, you know, and, yeah. and sort of like recalibrating what's happening in, in the world and in, in music. And what does it mean now to be a musician? All the concerts are canceled. The festivals, wait, wait, that festival's canceled too. You know, we're all to mm -hmm. kind of like whiplash trying to actually you know, absorb the reality of the situation that we were in and what we were looking at. So it took a little while to uh, reach out to these composers and ask them, you know, you know, we did get this funding. So can we can we move forward with this? Hmm. And and that timing, um, I think, was really great, yeah. actually, because there was just so much not happening. And when when we had these conversations with each one of them, they each asked, what are you looking for? What kind of okay. what kind of piece are you looking for? And um, that really it always had been what story do you want to tell? Mm -hmm. We want you to make up that story. We don't okay. want to tell you what that is. Mm -hmm. But that just took a new meaning in, in the situation that we were in. So, um, you know, with with Pascal, LaBeouf, who wrote snapshots for us, when we had our conversation with him and he asked that question, I said, um, really just a snapshot of, of what your world is or what story you want to take right now. And that term kind of stuck with him. And that's why it became snapshots. I like that. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know of any works for bass clarinet and cello other than the works on this CD. Do, do you know of any? It, how did this idea come about to do these two instruments together? Well, there are a couple. Um, there are a couple out there. And, but um, I love playing the bass clarinet. Mm -hmm. I mean, I love the range of it. And I've always also um, felt like if I were to be reincarnated as another musician, it would be as a cellist. <laughs> <laughs> uh -huh. I've always loved the cello. And um, part of that really is, or most of it really is the expressive range of both instruments. Mm -hmm. They're so well paired, even just, um, you know, the range of, of um, low to high, you know, it's yeah. very, very similar, but the, the range of color and emotion and um, ways that you can use the instrument are so varied. You can use them in percussive ways. You can use them in, you know, expressive singing, lyrical ways. You can, um, there's just so many different overtones that you can explore with both instruments too. I think yeah. very, very compatible. The first uh, track on the disc is called African Tales by Paquito de Rivera. And Paquito is uh, a well-known composer among woodwinds, but before all of that, he has this amazing career as a jazz musician, and I think he's won more Grammys than any clarinet player ever. And um, and he's somebody who's he's an older guy, but he seems like he has more energy than everyone else combined. So, what was it like uh, with him? Was he like excited about this project? I mean, since he's an older person during COVID, was he a little bit, uh, you know, like concerned about that for his own health? He didn't appear to be. Um, <laughs> I'm not <right>. surprised. <laughs> he has a lot of energy. And our meetings were all Zoom. Mm -hmm. We had meetings with every composer. They were all Zoom. And he was just, you know, he, he communicates through his instrument, too. So at, at our Zoom meetings, he's playing. 
you know, he's just playing random, you know, and um, he was really seemed really energetic and enthusiastic about it. And actually, he was the first his piece was the first we received. Really? Just wrote it and sent it. He was like, I was really inspired to write this. And he oh said, my it gosh. Was like, it was amazing. That's so good. Well, uh, before we listen to us, kind of walk us through what we're going to hear here. Now, let me tell you my my take on it. I think this is the CD has one of the best recorded bass clarinet sounds I've ever heard. I mean, it is just gorgeous what you do with the tone. I mean, it's a beautiful tone just from a textbook perspective. But then there's there are so many hol- colors and hues and things that I hear within the sound and within in, uh, the interpretation but beyond that what uh, what can our listeners expect from this work african tales well you are very kind thank you so much for saying those nice things um african tales is um in his notes uh he writes that it is a journey from african plains through um through and it's a musical journey right it's not just a landscape journey but also a musical journey through the african plains back to new york Mm -hmm. jazz scene and so that transformation happens um through first there's a, a bass clarinet solo and then it just sort of introduces this combination of cello and and clarinet and you've got the um got the walking bass line and you've got the um, solos. There's um, improvisation in there. You'll hear um, Dave Eggar's amazing improvisational skills mm-hmm. uh, in his solo. We, we played it a few times and each solo was completely different, um, but this wow. one was definitely a keeper. Cool. Well, this is a fantastic piece. I'm so happy we get to play it on the show. Uh, this is Tasha Warren, bass clarinet and clarinet with Dave Egger cello. And this is a work called African Tales by Paquito de Rivera. Thank you. 
that was African Tales by Paquito de Rivera with Tasha Warren, bass clarinet and clarinet, and Dave Egger cello, all coming from their relatively new CD called Ourself Behind Ourself Concealed. And um, every piece on this disc, there's six pieces, and each one of them is its own little world of uh, interesting things to listen to. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the work called Black Mountain Calling by Martha Redbone. Now, I don't know Martha Redbone. I've not heard of her. I've heard of Leon Redbone, but that's a totally different guy who sang Christmas songs and Hawaiian songs and all totally different guy. Uh, Tell me about Martha and tell me about this piece. Yeah, so Martha is an amazing um, blues and bluegrass singer. Mm-hmm. And she is actually from Kentucky. She is of African-American Cherokee descent. And so the um, the story that she wanted to tell, the first thing that came to mind was of a stomp dance. Mm-hmm. And so that is a that is a vocal tradition. There are not, you know, there are also not public traditions either. This is a ceremony that is sung and that goes on for for a very long time, goes on throughout the night. And so it was presented as layers of of what she calls vocables that she sang. And then we worked together to transform that into an instrumental version of that. And so that was that was a challenge to it was it it wasn't as much of a challenge as I thought it would be, but it was um, daunting to think about doing it because it mm-hmm. would be the first time that this would be um, would be sung, quote unquote, on our instruments. Nice. Now, I see that um, there are vocals and percussion on this particular one. And is she the one who, who did those? on the recording she is okay so that's really cool it's nice to have the composer involved because they kind of bring the spirit and you know you can follow if you don't if you don't know exactly how to feel just do what they do and it makes it better it is absolutely yeah and and also we we had another percussionist um chuck palmer who was involved in in the recording as well Mm -hmm. um in consultation with martha Okay. And so, yeah, it really did um, come together magically. And that's why when I was talking to you earlier, I said that this has a very, very special place in my heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, we recorded it in Bristol, Virginia, which is the birthplace of country music. Oh. And it's actually very close to where she grew up. So when we recorded this and I was listening to our, you know, our samples and our recording as I was driving back home, it really gave me the chills to be driving through the mountains, through oh, her I bet. Yeah. home. Yeah. What was that recording process like during COVID when, you know, people were staying uh, away from each other kind of? And you have a unique uh, situation because you're blowing germs through the room <laughs> when you play. So did did the other people wear masks and was it weird to go in these probably abandoned spaces in order to record this? That is a great question. That was that was a question that we kept having new answers for as our process evolved. Um, we initially thought we were going to record all of this in New York, that we were all just going to meet or that we were going to like meet the composers where, where they were. Um, but we did not anticipate the complexities of doing that. 
Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, some of the pieces that we had hoped to record in New York, I mean, you, we would have had to have quarantined when we got to New York and then we'd have to be in sound shields. And it was just like, there was so many complicating factors, but Dave have moved to Bristol shortly after the pandemic uh, lockdown. Okay. It was a sort of a coincidence. He was on tour in um, Pittsburgh Mm-hmm. And uh, the tour got shut down, and basically he was told, "Okay, uh, the 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 tour is shut down. Everybody, find your way home." Oh my! And he lived in New York City, so he's like, "Well, I can't go back there. I don't think I should do that." So he stayed in Pittsburgh for a while, mm-hmm. and then um, because he is such a prolific recording artist and does recording all the time. He had connections in in Bristol and went down there and ended up staying there. And he's still there. Um, He just records constantly there. Yeah. But the recording studio that he was working with, Classic Studios with Mike Stevenson, Mm -hmm. um, they are, he's amazing. Mike is amazing. So when I went in for our first recording, it was the first time that I had been with other people for the whole pandemic, because I had just passed my whatever, how many days we were supposed to pass after our vaccine. Mm-hmm. And they had been vaccinated for a while there. So they had already had a few weeks of maskless interaction, which yeah. was so foreign to me. Yeah. And uh, I, 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 I immediately, as soon as I could, I went down there and um, we recorded without masks. It was just Dave and I in the room. But, you know, there was there was still some mask wearing here and there. Mm-hmm. It, it, it was just a little it was a little weird. It was a oh, little yeah. weird uh, situation to feel like I felt so exposed not having my mask on. I felt so, you know, reckless. Oh, yeah. You know, for any students who are listening, I should also mention the music industry recording aspect of, of creating a disc like this, because you could have the best musicians in the world. But if somebody isn't able to set up the room and set up the microphones and all the equipment to capture that, then the CD isn't going to be as good as it can be. And this one is kind of at the top of the charts as far as uh, just just sound and so and you can't just have just anybody recording it because there are people who are really good at recording popular music and like you know pop songs and then recording classical sounds is a totally different animal right absolutely yeah that's why I was so impressed by Mike because um, it's a studio that generally records country music folk music But actually, because of that, because of that acoustic and vocal approach, Mm -hmm. it it really transfers well to the bass clarinet. And Mike researched, like he researched, what does the bass clarinet sound like? Really? He did. He had, he really did. He was ready. When I went in, that mic was ready and I didn't do a thing. That's amazing. That's it. That's what you want, because it's hard enough to get your mind into the music and to express what you want to express. And yeah, it helps if you can just give give the recording to the person and just let them do it. And and also with the edit process, I mean, you know, there's there's been a push in recent years for fewer highly edited recordings because classical music has just become this thing in the past, I don't know what, 30 years where every recording is so highly edited. And so I've seen some artists release live recordings and I, I even know some composers who prefer that because it's, it's a more um, real version of what the music sounds like in a concert. Did you have any kind of approach like that? Um, 
I mean, one good thing about it is that you have some improvisation and very and just two sounds. So I guess that would lead you open to longer takes than just recording a couple of phrases and that kind of thing. Is that true? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, we, we did talk a lot about that, actually. And there were there were mistakes or clicks or ambient sounds and things like that that were left in. Mm -hmm. um, but we really wanted to go for the energy of it and also just the storytelling, the organic storytelling aspect of it. So we yeah. were we were telling the stories of these composers, but we were also telling them through our own emotional response that we didn't want to sound clinical, you know. Mm -hmm. Let's do some listening. Uh, this one is called Black Mountain Calling by composer Martha Redbone. And this is Tasha Warren and Dave Egger. And they're joined here by the composer who is, who's uh, contributing vocals and percussion to this recording.
that was Black Mountain Calling by Martha Redbone, performed by Tasha Warren, uh, Dave Egger, and the composer, Martha Redbone. And it all comes from this relatively new CD called Ourself Behind Ourself Concealed. And one of the coolest things about this CD project, not only that you were able to conceive of it basically and create it during COVID, but also you became part of the Grammy experience after that, which is rare air for a clarinet player. I can tell you, I remember years and years ago, I saw Richard Stoltzman at the Grammys and he, uh, he, he gave an award and I was just, I don't even know. I mean, I, I was, I was shocked that I, that I, I had that guy's CDs and I, like he was my friend because I'd listened to him so many times and then he's on TV giving a Grammy. And so, you know, when the Grammy nominations come out every year, of course, I'm interested in the pop music and the country music and whatever, but I'm also very, very interested in the chamber music and the orchestra music because I want to see if anybody I know is on there. And when I saw your name on there, I was like, what? And because that's hard to hard to get on that list. And so I want you to tell me about that process. And then I want you to tell me about the Grammy process. Um, sure. So, well, I mean, that was also that's how I felt when I saw my name there, too. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I we you know, we knew that we were submitting it for recognition for the for, you know, for the ballot. And then we knew that it was on the ballot. Um, but when the day came for the, you know, the announcement, I was like, well, you know, I'm, I'm not going to think about it. I didn't, I, I put it out of my mind and then I was driving and Dave called. He was like, did you see? He was watching it and he was oh, like, did wow. you see? We got two nominations. That's amazing. Um, and yeah. And I, and I think, you know, since our project is repertoire based, since we wanted to inspire new works for our, um, for our, for our ensemble to have the nomination be for best instrumental composition and to have two of those um, in the same category was just, it was amazing, but also so um, rewarding. It just felt like, oh my gosh, we really, there's, these are great works that people really like, you know, mm -hmm. it felt so great to have that, to have that recognition. Um, and, uh, to be up against the, you know, the people that we were against and the groups that we were against, it, it was, uh, it was just a huge honor. Um, yeah. it, it was a real, it was a real thrill to, to go through that process. I also remember when Richard Stoltzman was nominated, um, for, and when one, when he won the Grammy for the Brahms yep. with Richard Wood, I mean, I, I just still, I remember, I know what you mean. Cause I was like, what? A clarinet? Yeah. <laughs> That's insane. Um, so it really did. It felt it. It felt like, oh my gosh, this record with just this, you know, clarinet and cello duo, you mm -hmm. know, um, spoke to people. It um, it's interesting because they were nominated in a in a. It's not exactly a classical category. Mm -hmm. So and that, that kind of goes along with our project. In a, in a strange way, because we're trying to explore, well, what is it? What what does it mean really to be classical? Mm -hmm. um, so that that's just sort of an interesting um, angle, I think that we that we thought about. Yeah, 
I mean, I think this this music, it certainly doesn't fall into that traditional classical category. And I think that when people hear that, they think, you know, your average person probably thinks any orchestral music or what they would consider to be classical music in air quotes. But uh, it's such a diverse thing. And really, frankly, I think uh, the, the boundaries of what most people consider classical music, a lot of those boundaries are changing. And uh, when, when I first started my job years and years ago, one of the other faculty members who'd been there for a long time said, our students love classical music, but not so much modern music. They don't like modern music so much. And you know what? I have found that to be totally untrue because our students are so prepared for that. They hear modern music in movies and just throughout life all the time. And anytime I play a, a piece of modern music, whether it's on my show or just my performing, that's the one they love the most. Do you find that too? Actually, yeah, it's interesting that you say that. And even with my own kids, mm-hmm. like we, I, uh, I mentioned, I teach at this festival, mostly modern, and we premiere new works all mm-hmm. summer, all festival long. And you know, there are some pretty far out pieces in yeah. there. Even when I'm playing them, I'm like, mm. <laughs> I if my kids are gonna like it, you know. But they surprise me. It's it's sometimes those that I'm like, they're, that's the most far out piece. And and then one of my kids or one of the students will be, oh, I love that piece. That was my favorite one. Yeah. And so um, I was just thinking about that earlier today. I was thinking about like um, spectral harmonics and, and multiphonics and things like that um, and how they speak to people because it's just a whole different emotional connection and wavelength. And, um, and I think, I think what we say when we say people don't like modern music, maybe is more academic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think, well, I, I know for a fact that sometimes analyzing that kind of music can make your brain melt <laughs> because I was in some classes in grad school where it was a three hour, one, one time a week seminar. And the first hour and a half was just total torture and pain to get to figure out what this piece is and how it arrived at what it is. And then the rest of it was relaxation because we're finally done and we can talk about why. But um, yeah, some of that music is incredibly complicated and these composers come up with their own way of, of, of arriving at those musical decisions. Yeah, I mean, I think when something has an emotional impact, it doesn't matter how far out or how new it is. Yeah. If it communicates um, on a human and emotional level, yeah. and sometimes that's through melody and harmony. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes that's through structure. Sometimes it's not. You know, it, it just... Uh, it's really hard to say what is going to what is going to connect. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. I think that's true. Um, I want to do a, a little bit more listening. Uh, this one, uh, this this work, Crow Cavern, is by Cornelius Boots, who is someone that I came to know because he is an incredible bass clarinetist, composer, arranger, and he was in the Edmund Wells Bass Clarinet Quartet, which I've played on the show many times. And their music, uh, my entry point to the Edmund Wells Bass Clarinet Quartet was their recording of Creep by Radiohead, which is so awesome. I don't even think it's released because I think maybe there's like there are like copyright issues, but you can listen to it on YouTube. It's so cool. And then I heard them play at Clarinet Fest one time, and they did all this uh, like heavy metal, and they were there was like singing involved. 
And there's even a Christmas album. They have a CD of Christmas music that I've played on, on the show. And he is a fascinating guy. And in recent years, he has kind of stepped away from that quartet, and he's doing like some totally other different kind of music. So t- tell me a little bit about that, and tell me about, about this piece, Crow Cavern. Um, yes, to all those things that you said about Cornelius and his music. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and that's why I asked him, you know, I actually know, knew him in school. We were in school together. Mm-hmm. And so um, I, I have just been a huge fan of Edmund Wells for so long. It's just amazing music that I really connect with. And I, I just wanted something for our duo. Yeah. And and so his piece was inspired by long walks during the pandemic, hiking mm-hmm. and coming across this, um, basically this community of crows that he was watching over time and inspired by that and inspired by, you know, um, sort of this parallel ecosystem of nature and humanity mm-hmm. <laughs> during a time of complete shutdown, if that makes any sense. Yes, absolutely. Um, and so that was um, that was a real thrill to get to get his piece and to start to uncover that and um, explore how the how the cello could also, you know, be heavy metal and. Yeah. Now, what is this other instrument I see him playing? It looks like a like a big recorder kind of thing. Is that like a shakuhachi flute? The shakuhachi, and that's yep. his thing now. Yeah. That's crazy. He, he's doing all kinds of stuff with shakuhachi, going all, and he's in Pittsburgh right now. I think he just did a concert um, in the Heinz Theater with his shakuhachi. That's so cool. I think it speaks to his um, creativity and his. Um, his thought process that he's he's even willing to step away from the clarinet, which is difficult for some of us, especially if we're employed. Um, so it's it's a I think he's a really interesting person. So let's go ahead and listen to this work, Crow Cavern by Cornelius Boots, and this is Tasha Warren and Dave Egger. <laughs> This is Joey Hudson, producer for Clarinet Corner. We hope you enjoyed this week's interview. And as host Tim Phillips always says, there's a lot more where that came from. Literally, because we'll be right back next week with more of this interview with clarinetist Tasha Warren. Thanks for listening to Clarinet Corner on Troy Public Radio.